Hark the bardic paladin Who sings and plays again He tells the tales of glory And weaves a magic story He'll join you at your table And ask you to share a fable Heroes of humble origin Villains who must be fought again No matter their skill or prowess The people in life are countless so we pray you heed our request. Enjoy this tale of sidekicks and sidequests. Episode 30 Corvus, the Arbiter of Order and Chaos. Welcome to Sidekicks and Sidequests, the Dungeons and Dragons podcast that helps to put humans back into humanity and breathe life into your campaign NPCs with backstory and bravado. That's right, we're building a world, one character at a time. I am your host, Kurt Krenwelge, the Bardic Paladin, and I'll be joining Daniel Silver's table in the Levitating Platter. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Sidekicks and Sidequests. I'm very excited for this episode, so I'd like to go ahead and start it off, turn it over to my guest, and ask if my guest would introduce themselves and tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, my name is Daniel Silver. I live in the D.C. area out of Northern Virginia, and my main kind of passion job right now is running Doxicon, a Christian science fiction and fantasy conference with locations in D.C. and Seattle. That's super cool. Cool. I don't think I'd ever heard of Doxicon before. Has it been a continuous convention or is it relatively new? So we had our first convention back in 2013 and then we did it every other year for a while and now we're doing it every year. Obviously this year is going to be a little different. We're looking into hosting it virtually this year. Oh, okay. Yes, I just saw today at the time of this recording Reaper Miniatures just put out a letter and they have a big Reaper Con here in the Denton, Dallas, Fort Worth area. They do their big convention. I think they were just saying they were exploring like a virtual convention this year. That's a really cool idea to still be able to engage people and have people be able to still virtually attend panels and stuff like that without putting themselves at a health risk, as it were. Exactly. Cool. Do you currently or have you ever played Dungeons and Dragons before? I started playing GURPS, which is generic universal role-playing system in high school and college. I did that for a couple of years. And then about three or four years ago, I started playing Dungeons and Dragons and did that for a while. These days, I mostly play Dungeon World and other Powered by the Apocalypse systems. I'm currently running several games online, including a 14-person Dungeon World game for people who are self-quarantining. Oh, wow. So is that kind of like West Marches style where like people just drop in when they can? It is exactly a West Marches style game. I've run one of these before at my parish for a while, but... But this is the first one that I'm doing right now, and we're about to hit session 20, actually. So we've done almost two years of gaming in just about two months. Oh, wow. That's super cool. I have to ask, because since you let off with, you've been playing GURP since high school and college age. If you recall my previous interview with my friend Charles, he made the comment that GURPS was the game spreadsheet 
science, and so I just kind of wanted to ask if there was some truth to that statement. There is complete truth to that statement. It is one of the most <laughs> math-heavy, crunchy games that I've talked about. Some friends and I bought a GURPS book for making vehicles that we could play in-game, and we kidded that you probably needed a engineering degree to make it work. I feel like I'm a fairly smart person, but that even sounds kind of daunting for me. But maybe if someone ever invites me to play, I'll give a college try at it, see how I do. I would give it a try. I've kind of swung in the opposite direction where Powered by the Apocalypse is much less crunchy and more narrative-based, and that's kind of where I'm playing these days. Next question, the sidekick part of the name of the show. Do you have a favorite NPC from RPG, video game, etc., and why are they your favorite sidekick NPC? So I thought about this a lot, and my answer is Thane Krios from the Mass Effect trilogy. Mass Effect was really formative for me in how I create and play RPGs, actually, you know, with their big decisions and hard choices that the game asks you to make. And he was one of my favorite NPCs because he was just such a complex character with a really great redemptive arc. And is also one of the few openly religious characters in a video game, actually. And I know I've only made it through the first of the two Mass Effect games. And if I recall, Thane doesn't show up until the second game, correct? That is correct. He is a character in the second one. I think I have three for the Xbox 360, and I was just waiting on the notice that the 360 versions of the Mass Effect trilogy were back compatible with Xbox One so I could upload them and finally give it a chance and play through it. And I've heard definitely based on the ending of 3 that it was kind of a mixed bag without the DLC. Yeah, you definitely need the DLC to make it worth it, I think. And then for the flip side, what's been a favorite side quest of yours from RPG, video game, etc.? And why is it your favorite side quest? I'm going to kind of do an off-the-wall kind of answer, and I've actually been playing a lot of Stardew Valley during recent events, and there are a lot of kind of fun side quests in that. You could almost argue that everything there is a side quest, since the main goal is just to have a successful farm. But this is my fourth or fifth playthrough, and I enjoy kind of finding new quests that I haven't seen before. And this time, I think this is a new quest they added in the last update, actually, is I got to turn the old JoJo Mart into a movie theater this time. Oh, interesting. I've watched my wife play the game. She hasn't picked it up in a while, but can you explain a little bit more about how the old supermarket turns into a movie theater? So what's really interesting is the JoJo Mart is kind of the big corporate supermarket that you're you're really not supposed to be supporting. There's a local kind of shop that you're supposed to buy your seats and stuff at, but the JoJo Mart has like a discount. They're doing some cost losses to try and run the local mom and pop store out of business. But if you complete a series of quests, then they go out of business, essentially. Before, the mart would just be empty. There was no use for it after that. But now they've added a new quest where you can turn it into a movie theater. And I think it's just great to be continually improving your community in that way. And then to round out the final personal interview part of the show, what are you passionate about and why? I'm really passionate about my faith, actually, as evidenced by starting Doxicon. I grew up in a Protestant household, but I fell away from the faith during college. I came back after several years and became Eastern Orthodox. Since then, I've become very passionate about my faith, and it's really influenced every aspect of my life, you know, most obviously with Doxicon, which is a fan, faith-based fan conference that I actually run with my priest, actually, and, and several other people at my parish. That's cool. So since it's come full circle back around to Doxicon and your passion of faith, 
faith. What's that been like to be able to bring in, I imagine, not only just popular writers and actors, etc., who are not hostile to the faith, but also just creators from within the Christian community to be able to spread their ideas, their properties, and all this to not only meet and greet with their fans, but to hopefully meet new potential fans and supporters. Yeah, it's been a really great builder of community, and we've had a lot of people come to these conferences and make connections that we never knew were there. So for example, one of the head writer for D&D 4th Edition came to the Doxicon Seattle a couple of years ago, and we never knew that we had that connection with D&D. And we've had a lot of authors come and speak, and it's just really opened people up to a lot of new things that they didn't know about new authors. And so I think the sense of community that we've built has been really important. And I think kind of growing up, I separated my faith and my kind of geeky nerdness from each other. And this is really a space where you can be both and they can both inform each other. Any other additional comments or anything that you'd like to add before we head into making a NPC character? Just to say people should check out Doxicon. We're going to be having it the first weekend of November. Just check out doxicon.org and we'll keep you updated on what we're doing. Perfect. Okay, then. Well, I think this is a very opportune segue then into the NPC creation. All right, Mr. Silver, what kind of character are we going to be making today? So this is a character I'm using in a current campaign, the West Marches campaign, actually. And this is a character that one of my players described as a worse NPC to encounter than an ancient red dragon. Brilliant. I think we're off to a great start. So what is this character's name? His name is Corvus. What is the particular ancestry for this character? He is a Kenku, which is a the bird humanoid. But my homebrew rule is that they can talk normally and don't have to do the mimic talk that D&D says they do. I just find that slightly tiresome to do as a player or a DM. I'm sure, yeah, there's only so many times you can remember, oh, he makes the sound of coins or he mimics a bell ringing or something like that. And certainly you trying to make all the sounds at the table and probably very frustrating if you're that dedicated to role playing. It would be fun if it was like a random NPC that you maybe encountered once or had a short interaction with, but this is a character that I want the characters to keep coming back to. What is the job or role? of Corvus. So Corvus is an arbiter and is the head cleric of the Raven Queen. Interesting. In your homebrew game, you're using the Dawn War Pantheon then? I'm using bits of them. I've created several pantheons and the Raven Queen is one of them. I'm also using Gubliat from the Goblins as well. So it's kind of a mishmash of different deities. Perfect. So then how old is Corvus? No one not even Corvus knows. So no one would be able to take an educated guess. It's just mystery of the game is that no one knows how old Corvus is. Correct. Fair enough. It's always nice to leave a little mystery in your games. So let's see if we can paint a picture. Let's describe the physical appearance of Corvus. So like Alkenku, he is a flightless bird humanoid. He is 
old by appearances. So, you know, some of his feathers are molting. He might have some gray around his temple. He wears well-used vestments with a raven motif to them and leans on a heavy wooden staff carved with arcane symbols. What three adjectives would best describe Corvus? I would say charismatic, arrogant, and authoritative. What is the valuable item, piece of lore, secret, or ideal or concept that Corvus possesses? So Corvus is the arbiter of the Accords, which are a series of agreements between the forces of Or order and chaos agreed upon after the great war at the beginning of the world he lives on raven's head a barrow with standing stones that serves as neutral ground for the forces of order and chaos so he is this arbiter and he lives on a neutral ground and he's kind of like the go-between whenever forces of order and forces of chaos kind of have a dispute exactly yeah what is a particular quest that corvus would be willing to recruit or hire player characters to go and do so his quest would mostly be about kind of hunting down those who have violated the accord he's responsible also for enforcing the accords so for example a clan of goblins who worship megubliat has taken over an old temple to the raven queen and consecrated it for megubliat chorus asks the players to drive them out okay so basically like hey these goblins aren't observing the balance they've taken over this temple desecrated it and reconsecrated it to this goblin god hey i say that's not an accord so i need you guys to go take care of it so we can restore the balance exactly what is corvus going to reward the player characters with should they be successful in clearing out this temple well besides great material rewards you would also be able to call upon corvus and the raven queen for a favor okay like a big favor small favor maybe medium favor medium favor okay medium's always a good choice and what's going to be the consequence of failure or refusing the call so corvus is pleading for help and they just kind of blow him off and they're like smell you later old man well corvus doesn't beg first of all but if you refuse to his call for action the accords could be sundered and the forces of order and chaos would resume their war oh okay so a simple side quest if is refused would basically restart a ancient apocalyptic war yeah corvus lives life on the edge Uh, you know the balance between order and chaos is very fine so maybe i can see why your particular player character might say he's more terrible than an ancient red dragon because his finger is literally on the button it seems it is and so he yeah he demands a great deal of respect because of that what are some of the goals and motivations of corvus so as discussed a little earlier it's really order above all else that balance He has to keep that war from starting again. And as you mentioned, his finger's on that button. I could see that being very important. He's trying to stop the war from restarting again. And so how do these goals and motivations affect his general personality then? Well, he often kind of comes off as uncaring or arbitrary. Some even accuse him of supporting evil because he's willing to serve as neutral ground for anyone. And sometimes the forces of chaos or even the forces of order can come off as evil to others. And so they're like, why would you have these people, this cult meeting on your ground? Why don't you just destroy them? So then speaking as a DM and in mechanical terms, does that mean that Corvus would actually be truly neutral then so he could fairly judge them based on the accords exactly so i had a session a couple sessions ago where two cults that had been separately trying to destroy the player characters came to corvus's barrow and had a meeting and corvus 
took the meeting and arbitrated because he wanted to try and negate some of the worst damage that these cults might do and to kind of maintain the balance. And the players came upon it and were very upset that he would even meet with these groups. Interesting. So someone who's lawful good would look on potentially this situation and be like, ah, he's an agent of evil. But really, from the perspective of Corvus, he's like, no, no, no. I'm trying to make sure that the worst stuff that these two groups want to do against you isn't actually going to happen. I'm trying to help you guys by hearing these two groups out basically exactly so let's see how does corvus normally interact with say like someone who he would consider family friends or peers does he interact differently with people he considers enemies or rivals or people that report to him and then does he have a different way of interacting with player characters so he seeks to treat all fairly and actually wants no one to see him as either an enemy or a friend and so with player characters he often kind of comes off condescending because he says that they are messing with forces above their understanding so interesting so he doesn't want to view anyone as a friend or a rival he keeps them kind of like at a arm's length away even though his arms might be kind of short <laughs> but he truly seeks to be as neutral and no conflict of interest basically right exactly that's his catchword is no conflict of interest so i could then see how player characters who might want to buddy up to him and be chummy might get cooled off with the fact that he seems condescending because he's like no 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 i can't be your friend because if i'm your friend then i can't judge fairly correct exactly is there a particular particular accent or language that Corvus deploys whenever he's dealing with anyone and are there any idiosyncrasies in the way that he acts or he speaks? So what I said was he speaks very deliberately. He is often an arbiter between very powerful interests, the forces of chaos and order, and so he must choose his words carefully to avoid giving offense or showing partiality. So is he kind of like slow and methodical, like Treebeard? Oh, it takes a rather long time to say anything in Entish. Yes, he speaks very slowly, and there are often kind of long pauses while he considers his words. What impact has Corvus made on the world, and how has he shaped the local area? So Corvus has in his mind brought a general peace to the world. There's still conflict, but they're small fights. They're not getting out of control back to that kind of apocalyptic fight between chaos and order that start with at the beginning of the world. And so he thinks he provides a very necessary service. Are there any current problems that prevent Corvus from being an even bigger player on the stage? So his powers are tied directly to the Raven's Head Barrow and the Standing Stones there. So he actually has a very real geographical constraint on his powers he has trouble projecting power beyond that and so that's why he would for example oftentimes need to hire the player characters to enforce the accords or depend on other actors in ordering chaos to enforce these things interesting and so then i'm just already spitballing in my head it would be a very big deal then if someone was like hey we're gonna go capture the arbiter and take them away from raven's head barrow so then he loses his powers and then seems like a free for all then because then they're like there's no one to arbitrate so have at it i guess that would be like worst case scenario i suppose exactly and so in the session where my characters first met corvus what had happened was they came across this meeting and they actually just charged in and started killing people and and then corvus was the last one standing and they were going to kill him but then he said you know there are accords that protect your town that you're from and that's why monsters never attack in there that's why you can return there and be safe at night 
night. But if you were to kill me or, or hurt me, then the forces of order and chaos would see that as a breach of the accords. Well, cool. I think we have painted an awesome portrait of Corvus, and I think this would be the perfect opportunity to have a random encounter. So then this is the portion of the show where we like to put our guest on the spot. And since you've brought a finely crafted NPC to us, we'll have you take the place of Corvus. And then I'm trying to think for a scene, what, I don't know, what would be a good character for me to to step into the scene with? Someone who's seeking an audience for a petition? Or do I roll out Duncan? Or who do I bring? I think you roll out some kind of adventurer, maybe, who's trying to kind of gain his favor or kind of play the system. Because I would like to kind of show off Corvus's kind of condescending nature a little bit. So you think I should have Duncan arrive on the scene then? I think so, yeah setting the scene. So Corvus has finished up with his latest meeting with who he's been working with and outside the borders of his barrow, he sees an adventurer starting to stroll up. He can see the faint trails of some fayish flowers kind of drifting off him as Duncan's kind of ruffling his hair and getting himself all straightened out. And he says, whoa, that was quite a journey through the Feywild that I had thanks to that Narwhalicorn and reuniting her love. Oh, I seem to have Oh, this is a rather interesting place. Hello? Hello? Is there... Is there someone there? Hello? Hello. I am Corvus of Raven's Head. How may I help you? Oh! Well, splendid. Ah, I've just kind of come off a latest caper, latest adventure, it seems, and... Oh, I don't know. I think I've just let my feet carry me where they may, and I seem to found myself on your doorstep. So is there something that I can do for you? Help you with? Hmm. You have a very chaotic energy around you. Well, I have been called suicidally brave. Well, in fact, I kind of call myself suicidally brave. No task is too small for me to take on, you see. Oh, no task too small. I have an excellent quest for you, then. Have you heard of the deity Magubliet? God bless you. Oh, oh, (laughs) I'm sorry. Uh, That was the name of some god. Let's see, Duncan rolls a religion check, and he gets like a three. So he says, no, I don't believe I've heard of this one. It is the deity of the goblins. Oh, I did deal with a goblin. Oh, what was it? Was it a goblin? Well, Duncan starts to begin to trail off and get lost in his memories of past adventures before Corvus snaps him back into the scene. But he is causing trouble nearby. His followers have taken over an old temple that was once dedicated to the Raven Queen, and they have desecrated it and consecrated it to their deity, throwing balance between order and chaos out of alignment. Oh no, that does sound rather sad. So my job, my task would then be to clear out this temple of these heathen goblins, a blight on the Raven Queen, and return it to your care? That is correct. Okay then, well, I suppose, which way do I need to make my way to do this mission? Uh, he kind of makes a picture with his hand, and a roll of parchment appears, and he kind oh. of hands it to you, and you unroll it to see that it is a map to a site about a day's journey from here. And Duncan will study it carefully. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Ah, okay. And they'll kind of roll it up and be like, 
All right, well, if it's going to take me a day to get there, my friend, I don't suppose you'd have a bed for me to lay my head. I am weary after my interdimensional travels, it seems. There is no place to stay here. Well, drat. Okay, then. I suppose it's sleeping out under the stars for me. Corvus, yes, Master Corvus, I will see to this task and have it done post-haste. See that you do... The very balance of order and chaos depends on you. Okay, then. And I guess with a renewed sense of purpose and confusion at the statement, Duncan will then, looking at the map, will unrolling it to look at it, roll it back up, and then start heading off in the direction of the temple, then. And scene. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What did you think of that little role play scenario? Yes, I liked it. And I liked how he always brings things back to order and chaos. And so, you know, he was commenting on Duncan's alignments there. I haven't done an episode on Duncan yet, per se, but maybe if people would want to narrow that down. But yeah, I guess maybe chaotic good probably would be the best D&D mechanical term to define Duncan. Yeah, it's really interesting. With Corvus, I wanted to kind of examine the difference between lawful and chaos or order and chaos chaos versus good and evil because i have some players who are good different versions of good paladins and i wanted them to kind of come across someone who's kind of very alien to them and that they don't care about the kind of good versus evil spectrum they care about the order versus chaos spectrum for me what kind of inspired it was looking at how kind of good and evil characters and deities and powers can kind of shift over the order and chaos spectrum and so i've been introducing in my campaign different people from the order and chaos sides and right now the chaos side seems kind of just straight up evil and so i'm going to introduce a character that the pcs have met before and really like that he was actually a force of chaos during the the great war and so i'm hoping that kind of throws them for a bit of a loop it's always nice to subvert player expectations isn't it exactly all right well, I guess as we're heading into our final thoughts here of the show, what do you think of your experience on the show? Hopefully I was a good interviewer, I hope. I think so. I had an excellent time. I really like the detail that you dive into the characters with. I think that it's really good and gets a good kind of snapshot for the time that you have on the show and that it, it's a great resource for dungeon masters like me right and i think as well player characters certainly if they're looking for oh i just want that someone cool in my backstory they could pull out this npc show it to their dungeon master and, okay this is an npc i could work with maybe so i like that expectation as well i think that's good and i think i wish that more players kind of put these kind of characters in their backstories because it gives me as the DM kind of more room and fleshes out the world a little bit more. And I always like it when players and dungeon masters kind of collaborate on the backstory and in the world, because then the scenes where they're talking to each other feels more authentic. Right. And certainly collaboration, storytelling, working together. Since we mentioned it earlier in the show, both of us being of the Christian persuasion, I know that was kind of like my ethos going into the show. I believe that all people have a story to tell. All people have a perspective, and that was kind of the inspiration of going into this show. What's something in D&D that we could think more about, that we could really showcase and get people to take a second look and think? And, well, NPCs, that we could all take a moment to remember that, hey, everyone's got a story, and they've all got a perspective, and we're all journeying forward in life, so let's all be 
Nice. <laughs> and I think it shows that in God's eyes, no one is just kind of a throwaway NPC. Exactly. They're all important characters. We all have a journey that we've been on to reach where we are now. Exactly. All right. Well, as we're here in the final moments then, what would you like to plug? Where can people find you on the internet if they want to know more about Doxicon or, or anything else that you're doing on the interwebs? So we have a website, Doxicon.org. We also have a Twitter, Doxicon Prime, just at Doxicon Prime. People can find me on my personal Twitter, just at Daniel, and it's apophatically. And we also have a Facebook group for Doxicon where we will kind of update people on what's happening. Cool. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time and looking forward to having you back on the show when we can think of another cool NPC, right? I, I would be real happy and I hope we see you at Doxicon this year too. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sidekicks and SideQuests. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast through Apple Podcast, Google Play, and Overcast, or feel free to save the RSS feed to use the app of your choice. Visit our website, https colon forward slash forward slash sidekicksandsidequests.com for links, write-ups of the NPCs, and to learn more about the podcast. To stay up to date and share your fan creations, you can like and follow the podcast on social media by searching for at Podcast on Facebook and Twitter. The podcast is also on Reddit, so join our subreddit community at r slash podcast to share your art, stories, discussions, and commentary. If you'd like to hail the bard, send an email to sidekicksandsidequests, all one word, at gmail.com. I ask that you please leave an honest review on iTunes to help spread the word about the show. Sidekicks and Sidequests is unofficial fan content permitted under the fan content policy meaning I'm not approved or endorsed by Wizards. Portions of the materials used are property of Wizards of the Coast. Copyright Wizards of the Coast, LLC. Thank you for your support, and I'll see you at the pub next time. Bar to rock on one, two, one, two, three, four! Oh,